Amen. Thank you for that. Truly, His mercy is sweet, and I believe by the end of this, we will appreciate that much, that mercy much, much more. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, we are in Lamentations chapter 1. Lamentations and chapter 1. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I think I told you in the video, uh, I've never on purpose studied Lamentations um, up until recently. I've always, when I read through the Bible, I read through Lamentations, but other than that, I kind of avoided the book because it seems so depressing. Uh, but here's, here's how to understand Lamentations. Anybody know what I'm showing you a picture of? Yeah, the black box. When I googled black box, this is the image that came up, which I'm like, that does not look like a black box. Uh, I, I don't know my colors that well, but that looks orange to me. And anyway, it's a, it's a flight recorder so that after the plane crashes, you don't just say, oh man, well that was a bummer. Well, I guess we should try harder next time not to crash. Well, there's part of me that would want to do that. There's probably part of you that would want to do that. But when the plane crashes, people more disciplined than us, or the, the, the disciplined side of us, says, okay, we have to go back and we have to sort through the carnage and the wreckage and find the little black box or the, the flight recorder and study it and find out what went wrong so that we can learn from that so that we don't repeat those mistakes. This is the book of Lamentations, where it is crying out through the past saying, please learn from our pain. Please don't repeat our mistakes. Please, for the love of all things holy, learn from this. So if you have... If you have this sheet that's in your bulletin with, and, and it has some Hebrew on the front of it and it has kind of a graph, take that out because what had happened was uh, Jerusalem was leveled as a city by the Babylonians. And I'll talk more about the historical setting of this later on after we, after we do some reading. But Jerusalem is leveled at a, as a city and you might think of Dresden, Germany as, as a place that was utterly, totally destroyed, just bombed out, and there's just smoking ruins of rubble, and people are going, what can we learn from this? And this is, this is like I say, this is the book of Lamentations, and so Lamentations is not just like a journal entry where you pour out your heart. It's not less than that, but it's, it's more disciplined than that. So if you look through this sheet that I'm showing you, it shows that Lamentations is an acrostic. Somebody started with Aleph, like is kind of like our letter A, not really, but just for the sake of argument it is. It, it goes Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. That's the first four uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And you can see how the first four lines of the Hebrew text, the Hebrew verses, start with A, B, G, D. Just like Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. So somebody, look, look here's, here's the point. 
you don't care about this probably, you don't want to remember this, this is like confusing and hard. All I'm saying is someone works really, really hard to write this elaborate, intricate poem to help us learn from their pain. Someone tried out a word, it didn't work, and so they tried a different word, that didn't work, so they tried a different word, that one worked, then they went to the next line. They tried out a word, it didn't work, then they tried a different word, didn't work, then they tried out a different word, then it did work. They worked extremely hard to write this in a memorable way so that we would remember the lessons they learned the hard way. So the ball's in our court on whether or not we'll learn these lessons. Let me open with prayer before we jump in. Lord, we are your people. Let us learn from their pain. So, Lord, stand in front of me while I talk to them and talk over me. Drive these lessons home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in Lamentations 1. 1. How? So it's like a question, like how did this happen? How did we get here? Why did this happen? How lonely sits the city that was full of people? So is this about an individual? No, it's about a city. We read everything as individuals because we're Americans, but this is about a city. How lonely the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she who was great, among the nations. So you see how this is a reversal. There's several reversals here in the first couple of verses. She was full and now she's empty. She was full of people. Now she's empty and her status has been reversed. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. A reversal of status. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks like night terrors from the terrible things that she has suffered and terrible things she has seen. Among all her lovers, so, so if you write in your Bible or if you circle or square in your Bible, you might keep track of that word, all. You're going to see that several times as we go through this text. Among all her lovers, now watch these next couple words. She has none to comfort her. Part of the trauma of this is that the city, Jerusalem, feels so very lonely. All these bad things have happened and there is no one that cares. And she is all, the city is all alone. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies, was a, they, the friends made promises they didn't keep. And when her hour of need came, they ganged up on her and were part of the problem. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard service. So God brought them out of Egypt and now he has sent them back into slavery. It's a reversal of their history. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. She had the promised land where she found rest, 
and now she doesn't have it anymore. And now she's kicked out, and now she's wandering and in and, and exile, and there's no, there's no home anymore. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. So the roads are personified as a person would be, and they're weeping because the, Jerusalem is so very empty. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper because, okay, I could talk about how Deuteronomy 28 had made very many promises of blessing if people obey, and we could talk about how it also made promises of cursing and how the blessings came true, but this also shows how the cursings came true. We could go back through this and see these things in Deuteronomy 28. But watch this now. This is why this is happening. Because the Lord, so I know you probably hate grammar, but it helps you own it. <laughs> There's no escaping it if you can see the grammar. Because the Lord has afflicted her. Why did all these bad things happen? How did all these bad things happen? Because God made it happen. Who stands behind the Babylonians as the Babylonians come in and destroy them? The poet's point is God stands behind them. Because the Lord has afflicted her. Now why did God do this? For the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away. You know, their kids are the ones that suffer the most because of this. Captives before the foe from the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. You know it's desperate when your princes are starving. What's happening to the common people if the princes are starving? They fled without strength before the pursuer, the princes that are supposed to be strong and mighty in battle, are in constant and incessant retreat. Jerusalem remembers in a nostalgic way in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. She remembers her past wealth. She remembers how good things were. When the people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloat over her. They mocked at her downfall. Okay, so the pain is bad. Losing to the Babylonians was bad. But it's like what makes it worse is the gloating and the mocking of her former friends. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Okay, why is all this bad stuff happening? Because Jerusalem sinned grievously, because, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. All who honored her would be like her former boyfriends, if I can put it, put it that way. The, the Old Testament talks about them as former lovers. She herself groans and turns away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts, and she took no thought of her future, Therefore, her fall is terrible, and she has no comforter. 
No one knows, no one cares, no one's looking. She's all terribly alone. Oh Lord, behold my affliction. It's like she breaks in. Lady Zion breaks in and just can't stand it anymore. So she interrupts the poet and says, Oh Lord, behold my affliction for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands all over all her precious things. Big, meaty hands. It's like language of the worst kind of abuse you can think of. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, and those you forbade to enter your congregation. They weren't supposed to come in, but here they are. And, and the question is, Lord, how can you permit something you forbade? How can you let this happen? You made rules against this kind of thing. How are you letting it happen? All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. They're, you know, like they're in such a desperate place. They're tra trading diamond rings for sandwiches. Look, O oh Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Like, do you not see this, everyone? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me. Like, I can't imagine anything being worse than this. Which the Lord afflicted on the day of his fierce anger. We're not blaming the Babylonians. God stood behind the Babylonians, and the Lord inflicted this. From on high he sent fire. Into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned and faint all the day long. My transgressions, think my sins, were bound into a yoke. Think like a hangman's noose. And by his hand they were fastened together and they were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, and my eyes flow with tears. I just, I just need a break. Like, this is the kind of thing that you look at for a while and you're like, I don't know if I can keep reading. That is really hard stuff. That is really bracing, teeth-clenching, awful stuff. It's kind of like looking at the wreckage of a crash and thinking, I, I need to just get away from this for a moment. I, I can't keep doing it. Smelling the burning flesh, seeing the smoking rubble. Like, I just, you just need to step back. But, but here's why this goes on and on and on. Because we're, we need to know this was not just over in a moment. This was a long, drawn-out, terrible punishment. And it's hard to read because it was hard to live through. 
For these things I weep, because my eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. Feel so very alone. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbor should be his foes. The neighbors that they once relied on and depended on, now they have become enemies. Because of God. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right. You know, he knows that after all, God is righteous. And because God is righteous, God has to punish sin. God would not be righteous if he did not punish sin. He knows that God is in the right. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But, he's like, this seems a bit far. But hear, all you peoples, and see my sufferings. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, who made promises they didn't keep, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city, while they sought food to revive their strength. They, they starved to death while they're searching for food. Not a very glamorous way to die. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. So publicly, people get slaughtered and privately, people are getting slaughtered. It is this terrible, terrible place to be. There is no rest. For they heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Again, it's like, this is really, really hard. And it would be really hard by its, on its own. But what makes it worse is my enemies rejoicing. You have brought the day you announced. This is the day of the Lord that has been announced over and over and over again where the people were warned and warned and warned throughout all the prophets. It has finally showed up and it brought the destruction that God promised that it would. He says, now let them get some too. We may not like that sentiment, but we can't understand it. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 verses in this poem. As their voice cries out through the ages, please, please learn from our pain. Please learn from our pain. Please learn from our suffering. 
So what do we do with this? Like, what do we do? What, what should you go and do? How should you benefit from this? What can we learn from this? Well, before we talk about that, let me, let me read this quote to you. Just, just because I think we need to completely feel this poem that's being told to us. I don't want to run away from it. I don't want to not look at it. I want to learn from their pain, and I want you to learn from their pain. I want to benefit from this so that I don't repeat their, so that I, I don't have to learn the lesson the way they learned it. I don't want you to have to learn the lesson the way they learned it. So let's not run away, and let's, let's read this one quote here. Every problem that Jerusalem faces is stated in terms of totality. That's the 16 alls. The people face total oppression by enemies, total loss of property, total loss of religious activity, total loss of leaders, total lack of sympathy from their former allies, total surrender of prestige and dignity, and total guilt before God for their sins. All weaknesses have been exposed, and all hope for avoiding catastrophe has been dashed. That's the 16 alls. Well, what can we learn from this? How can you not repeat these mistakes? How can I not repeat these mistakes? What can you take from this? Well, let's remember the context here. God called Abraham and made him a nation. He called him out of Ur and made him a mighty people in Egypt, brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, brought them into the promised land, made them a nation, eventually gave them a king, and then David's son, Solomon had a son, and his, under his reign, the kingdom split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so you have the northern kingdom that's pictured there in the yellow circle, and the southern kingdom that is pictured there, that where it is on the map, is in the red arrow. The northern kingdom didn't have the temple and was much less inclined to worship Yahweh, so the northern kingdom went into captivity first. So the Assyrians came in in 722 um, B.C. and laid waste to everything, seriously threatened the southern kingdom, but the southern kingdom survived by the grace of God. The southern kingdom did not learn from this. The southern kingdom began to fall more and more into the same sins that the northern kingdom was committing and fell more and more into those sins, trusting other nations rather than God, trusting other nations' idols rather than God, trying to, trying to make allegiances. That's all the language about lovers and former boyfriends and all that stuff. That's what that is in the book of Lamentations with them trying to make allegiances because they're afraid of Babylon. And finally, after warning them and warning them and warning them and warning them, God sends in the Babylonians and lays, lays waste, but leaves the city intact in 597 B.C. So they take lots of uh, captives. They, Babylonian set, Babylonia sets up a, a puppet king 
But Jerusalem still does not learn its lesson. It still does not trust God. It still insists on its own way. And so finally, in 586 B.C., Babylon comes in, lays siege to the city for 18 months, destroys the walls, destroys the temple, burns everything, leaves the city in a smoking ruin. And so we have the book of Lamentations. So what can we learn from this? Well, I know they'd want us to learn that God punishes sin. I mean, if you learn nothing else, God punishes sin. I mean, you saw that again and again through this text, didn't you? You saw that in verse 5 when we did our grammar lesson. Because, of the Lord, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. You saw that again. In verse 18, For the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. You see that again and again and again, that the Lord punishes sin. Like, I don't think that that's in style right now. Like, I don't think that's trending right now, that everyone is like, has this cool new viral post about how God punishes sin. You probably won't tune, tune into Christian radio and hear a lot about how God punishes sin. But God punishes sin. Jesus told a parable about Lazarus and the rich man in Luke chapter 16. And he tells this story about how the rich man ignored Lazarus all of his life and the rich man didn't repent and didn't repent and didn't repent, didn't turn to God and the rich man died and went to hell. And from hell, the rich man cries out, And ask someone to go and tell his brothers, so they don't go there too. Lest they come to this place where I am. 1628. God still punishes sin. And the rich man's, his hope was, please learn from this. Let my brothers learn from this. Have you learned that lesson? Do you believe this? We get, we get marketed all the time, too, about how the, the joys and the fun part of sin. We don't see very often the, the heinous cost of sin. I remember Caleb talking about a, a video that they had to watch at school. And I, I, I'm going to get it wrong, Caleb, but it was about the, the terrible price of chewing tobacco. And uh, so they, they show this guy that I think he had mouth cancer, right? And so he's, I think he's missing his bottom jaw or part of his bottom jaw. 
he was cigarettes, and so he had a hole in his throat. Okay, thank you for that. So, so he's like, I was trying to make it better, but it's tough, you know, when your witness is here. So, so he's like, please don't smoke cigarettes. Like, 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 okay, that's not what Marlboro is marketing to you, but there's a price for that. There's a price for sin. The devil is not marketing the price. You get that on the back end. Learn that God punishes sin. Okay, is that the only thing we can learn from this? Well, I mean... Let's deal with this phrase that I had in burnt orange up there. So you have there in verse 2, she has no one to comfort her. Then you have it again in verse 7, and there was no one to help her. Then you have it again in verse 9, she has no comforter. Then you have it again in verse 16, for a comforter is far from me. Then you have it again in verse 17, There is none to comfort her. Then you have it again in verse 21. For there is no one to comfort me. That's six times. What do you do with that? I mean, is that true? Is that true that there's no one, no one to comfort? That there's no one to help? No earthly one. Thank you, Michelle. And that is, I mean, that was their experience. Nobody came to help. And what is really troubling is that in these 22 verses, what does God say? Nothing. Nothing. God is silent in these 22 verses. They cry, and there's no answer. What do you do with that? Well, I have to think that they're crying because that's not all they believe about God. So if you turn with me to chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I think they're praying because at bottom, they believe God is listening because because they believe God still loves them because His steadfast love never, ever, never never, never comes to an end. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. I believe that's why they're praying this prayer, because that's what they believe about God. Now, they're saying how they feel in chapter 1, verses 1 through 22, and they're saying what happened to them, but they believe that God still 
loves us. And that he is listening to their prayers. Otherwise, why even cry? Why even pray? And if you step back from Lamentations 1 just for a minute, and if you look at the trajectory in biblical history, you'll know that before Lamentations, they were warned again and again and again and again. And in Jeremiah 26, verse 3, Jeremiah tells the people, please repent. God is telling you, please repent so that I don't have to do all these terrible things to you. I don't want to bring this upon you. I will if I have to, but I don't want to. Jeremiah 26.3, if you want to look it up later. Then again, in Jeremiah 36.3, God says the same thing through Jeremiah, and it's a different king in a different time. Please repent because I don't want to bring this disaster on you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Please repent. Of course, they don't repent. And so the disaster comes. But then, you know that disaster is not the end of the story. If you know your Bibles at all, you know, if you know your Bibles at all, you know that God brings a remnant back to the land. And you know that's not the end of the story. You know that God, out of his steadfast love, and his faithfulness to his people shows up in the person of Jesus, lives in perfect obedience to the Father, and then bears, bears his own wrath, takes the punishment for our sins, takes all of lamentations onto himself, and dies in our place. And this is what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So God offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness for our sins. And he can because he himself took the punishment for our sins Onto himself. So when we read in verse 18 that he is righteous, and because he is righteous, he has to punish sin, well, he did punish sin by taking it onto himself. So he can offer us the forgiveness of sins. So, so what should we do? Well, the first thing that I really want you to have is make sure that you are saved, that you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, that, that you have been saved from the wrath of God. So you said, Lord, you are Lord and I am not. You are King and I am not. Hallowed be your name, not my name. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Your will be done, not my will be done. That you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. That you trust him, that he died in your place, that he bore the punishment for your sins. This is important because everything I understand about hell makes lamentations look like a Sunday school picnic. So make sure you're saved from the wrath to come by receiving Jesus as Lord 
and Savior. What the Bible says over and over again is today is the day of salvation. Do this today. Then, once you've trusted Jesus, that he bore Jesus bore the wrath for our sin in your place, just know, I think now, now know, that if you are in Christ Jesus, God is not mad at you. So, so when I talk to people, sometimes they have in their minds things like, you know, because I swore a couple times when I was 10, now when I'm 30, I have mouth cancer. You know, or, or because I looked at trash on the internet when I was younger, now I have eye cancer when I'm older. And I, I just want to give you pause from drawing straight lines from things from one thing to the next. Remember, this Lamentations is written about a city, not an individual. As Americans, we only understand things like we, we draw straight lines from everything to us as individuals. Remember, this is written about, written about a city. Remember that they were warned for generations before disaster finally landed. I don't want to unsay God punishes sin. God does punish sin. But know that Jesus bore the wrath for your sins. So God is not taking vengeance on you for your sins. You may be living with consequences for your sins, but that's not because God is still mad at you. It may be that God is correcting you, like a father corrects a son, like a father disciplines a son, Hebrews chapter 12. But it's not that God is taking revenge on you or God is pouring out his wrath on you. That's not what it is. Because if that was true, it would mean there's something deficient about Christ's sacrifice. And believe me, there is nothing deficient about Christ's sacrifice. He bore all the wrath for our sins. So God may be correcting us. We may still be living with consequences. But God forgives us entirely when we are in Christ Jesus. And we are in Christ Jesus when we receive him as our Savior and Lord. And finally, finally, we wouldn't be doing Lamentations justice if I left off this last take home. And that is learn from the heinous price of sin. Learn from it. See where it goes. See where it's gone in the generations that came before you. See what it costs people around you. See what it costs you. See what it costs others. Like, learn from the price of sin. And I think as we learn from the price of sin, we'll be able to see through its marketing. We'll be able to see through its temptations as we make the connection of there is a terrible price to be paid for sin. I hope this leaves you like sobered about there is a terrible price for sin, but also thankful in rejoicing in our great salvation and also ready to go on mission so that other people can know about the salvation that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are king and we are not. 
Lord, you help us understand your word, so Lord, help us understand this word. Bring it home to each of us, in Jesus' name, amen.